0: Hello and welcome to the New Hope Church Podcast. Don't forget to check us out online at www.newhopechurch.tv. And we'd love to connect with you on social media at New Hope Church TV. Thanks for listening and we hope you enjoy. I have the privilege of firing off a brand new series. Uh, we're starting it called Reclaim today. So we're gonna we're gonna take a look at what like what happens to us along the journey of life and moments where God intervenes. Uh, we're looking at encounters that Jesus has in the Gospel of John, places where uh, Jesus takes us and takes kind of the what's happened to us and reclaims it for, for uh, His glory and for what can happen in our life. But to start with, if we're gonna understand what it is to be reclaimed, we got to start and understand what we were meant to be in the first place, and then take a look at where we are, and then what God does to get us. Back to where we should have been, back at the beginning. So to do that, let's take a look at a couple of scriptures. First off, uh, pay attention to a couple of key words here. It says, "I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well." So lock into your mind those two key words there: fearfully and wonderfully. Okay, and then back in Genesis, it says, "God created man in His own image, in the image of God He created them, male and female. He created them." So where we started at the very very beginning of the beginning is that you and i were fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of god has anybody told you that yet today no you were just happy to get out of bed at the rightish time and get to church this morning so if no one else has told you i want to be the one you are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of god but but life happens really fast once, once we understand that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, you do this hard analysis where you say, well, is that how I'm living? Is that what I'm looking like? And, and I want you to know, life will wound us and hurt us and make us look a lot less like the image of God uh, than, than we were created to. But at the beginning, you were created by him, you were claimed by him, you were called his own, that's where we started. And uh, it's hard to stay there, isn't it? It's hard to get there and stay there. When I was first out of college, I took my first uh, full-time ministry role at a, a church way up in, by Kansas City, Kansas. Uh, my, uh, my, my job there was simply to run a youth center, so we had some after-school programming. It was, it was a youth center attached to a church, uh, so we had some after-school programming and some weekend programming, and I was hired in to run the thing, and there was some issues there, so uh, the guy that hired me said, I want you to go in and fix what you can fix, and I was young and idealistic, and in my early 20s, and thought I had it all figured out. It wouldn't take me long. Give me two or three days, and we'll have this thing turned around, uh, so after after working at it for a year uh, and realizing that it wasn't going to be nearly as easy as I thought, uh, I felt like we were in a good place, but there were kind of some core issues still involved in it. So uh, I spent a little time in prayer, a little bit of time uh, talking through the issues. And I went into to the guy that hired me, his name was Danny. And I said, Danny, listen, I like where we are, but there's some pieces of it that I think the only way we're going to get it fixed is if we close it down for about a month, fix these things internally, and then go and reopen it. And he pushed back and he said, I don't think that's the way to go. And I said, that's fine, I mean, I'm gonna trust your leadership, but this is what I think. So we prayed about it and at the end of the meeting, he said, if this is the way that you think we should go, then that's the way we're gonna go. And so we did. So over the course of the next couple of weekends, we kind of wound it down, had a plan for what we were gonna do from there. Well, as was our tradition on Monday, after the weekend of closing the, uh, the youth center down, our tradition to, was to go out and play 18 holes of golf on Monday morning. This was not the hardest job I ever had in my life, okay? fully anticipated uh, that this day we would spend the 18 holes of golf trying to figure out what the next month or so of of the youth center would look like before we were going to relaunch it, reopen it. And we did, we talked nine holes of, you know, what this and this and how I can make these adjustments. And then we got to the 10th tee box and he, he bent over and he put his tee in the ground. He put his ball on top of it, had his driver in his hand. I kind of stopped and he turned and he looked at me and he said, you know, I hired you to run a youth center. And you closed it yesterday. I was like, Oh, I can't see where this thing is going right away. And he said, we don't have a youth center. I, I, I don't really, I don't really know why I don't really have a job for you anymore. And uh, man, that hurt. That hurt. If you've ever been fired from a job, especially if you didn't like, didn't see it coming at all. Um, I had, uh, <clears throat> you, you weren't ready for it. I had somebody tell me this last week that they went in to their boss one time to ask for a raise, and ended up with a pink slip. Well, that'll change your world. now, That hurts, right? So it really hurt me on that t box. But I, I, I made a choice right there that I wasn't going to live in the hurt because what I wanted to do was I wanted to just beat him in the next nine holes of golf as bad as I'd ever beaten anyone in my life in nine holes of golf. Um, I wanted to do that so badly that I can stand here today and tell you, I have no idea what happened in those, those nine holes. All I remember is the overriding feeling of wanting to win against the guy that just fired me. Uh, I think I lost, he almost always beat me. Um, that was my rule early in life, is if your boss takes you out to play golf, you always let your boss win, because I would keep, let you keep your job. You see how it worked out for me? Not nearly as well as I was hoping. So we had to make some decisions and moved on, but it was one of the first like, times as an adult when I began to realize, man, life will wound you and hurt you and, and make, you can make all the right decisions and bad things can still happen to you. Um, and so it's, it's, hard, it's hard sometimes to live day by day knowing that we were created fearfully and wonderfully in the image of God when life along the way hurts. in fact, anybody wanna take a stab at what percent of people get hurt by life as they live? Just random number. I know, I know. You want it to be 100%. It's not. It's actually 105. Because we get five bonus points for the collective number of Super Bowls that the Houston Texans and Dallas Cowboys together have won. So it's been, it's been great teaching you one time, I'll never be back up here, um, but it's going to be fun for the next 20 or 30 minutes. So, But, but life does, doesn't it? It, 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 it? Sometimes it feels like it's 105%. It feels like no matter what you do, uh, you take all the right steps and the, and, and the wrong things happen to you. Uh, But I just wanna lay the foundation for us today, that the same God who fearfully and wonderfully made you in his image at your very beginning is the same one that not only wants to, but knows how to reclaim you back into that image in your day-to-day life. Uh, We're gonna look today in John chapter four at a woman who came into a conversation with Jesus with a lot, a lot of wounds, and a lot of hurts in her life. And we're gonna see how Jesus handles them with her and then how he handles them with us as well. You ready? Uh, Let's go. Uh, I guess before we go there, Keep track of, pay close attention to, who goes to the well with her when she goes to the well, okay, it's an important part of the story. So we pick it up in John chapter four. So he, this is Jesus, he, he left Judea and went, went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. So here we pick up the story with Jesus in Judea, wanting to go to Galilee. So you and I would go straight north, Judea through Samaria to Galilee. But at the time, the Jews did not feel like the Samaritan people were on par with them. They were considered inferior race. Uh, they were considered inferior religion. Uh, they did not want to have anything. They, they, they wanted so bad to avoid having contact with the Samaritans that the normal way that, a, that someone in Judea would go to Galilee would be to cross the Jordan River, come all the way north from here, and then come back into Galilee, so that they wouldn't even have to share airspace with these people. So that, that's, the, that's the context for what Jesus is about to do as he goes through Samaria. He could have gone around, he, he could have avoided, but the scriptures say he went through Samaria, he had to go through Samaria. And then a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Jesus should not be there in the first place. By all rights, he shouldn't be there, but he is. But did you notice how she identifies herself? Here's a woman that is so scarred by life She's so scarred by the fact that she lives in a place that is considered inferior in race, inferior in religion, in a time where females were considered inferior gender. And she no longer sees herself as someone created wonderfully and fearfully in the image of God. She sees herself in the way that others have portrayed her. And you've probably been here. Somebody has said something about you or to you that you felt like you could dismiss right away, but you lay your head on your pillow at night and you can't get away from their words. You, you try to outrun the negative things that people have said about you, but they seem to always be hanging around. And when you're honest with yourself, you recognize that you're allowing them to attach to you. She doesn't start with, hi, my name is. She starts with the negative adjectives that people have attributed to her. You ever feel like that? And life will just wound you along the way. People will say things to hurt you and you want to act like it didn't hurt, but it hurts. I know I've been there. Everybody that's ever lived has been on the receiving end of that. Now I've got some unique places in my life where I've been on the receiving end of that. But in order to, to understand where those uniquenesses are, I got to take you back in time a little bit and introduce you to my family. You want to meet my family this morning? All right. So we're the gundling bunch. Um, so this is the story of a lovely lady. Uh, those of you that are not laughing, uh, catch up with us later. And a lovely fellow who had two lovely kids of their own. So this is my older brother, Jeff. He's three years older than I am. And then there's myself in the middle there. Uh, at that point, my parents decided that having children was not working out for them the way that they were hoping. Uh, Jeff must have worked out okay, Jeremy was the time that they said, we're done, like we're done with this, we're not doing this anymore, so they decided they would go out into the world and create a new way uh, for them to have children, so they began to adopt, okay, we adopted Brittany, a few years, uh, a few years younger than I am, and then she must have, she must have been the right one, because they just kept going after that, because then we adopted Robert, uh, and then we adopted Michael, and then we adopted Darren, and then we adopted Alexis. Alexis is number seven. Uh, Any any youngest children in here today? You know you're the best one, right? You're the perfect one. And the reason I know that is because after we adopted Alexis, my parents said, we're not gonna get any better than this. So let's just stop, it's a hard stop there. Uh, My parents are, bar none, the most amazing people I know. Um, They've been married, we just celebrated last summer 50 years of, of marriage for them. They've adopted five kids. They've put up with two biological children along the way. Uh, they absolutely love people. They're the best people I know. You can imagine with this um, mix of people that we had some interesting conversations and interesting moments growing up, and then we still do have interesting moments around, uh, around the table from time to time. I, I distinctly remember being in a grocery store one time with my mom, and this was not unusual by any stretch of the imagination. I was there with my mom, and Robert was with us. And uh, we're just, we're shopping, we're doing what we do. You know, I'm trying to talk her into buying ding-dongs and she wants me to buy, you know, celery. That it never works out well for me. And I hear on the overhead speaker, would the parent of the child on aisle seven, please come back to aisle seven, you've lost your child. Please come back and claim your child. And I, I was like, oh, okay, I wonder where they are. And I look around and I see that, hey, we're on aisle seven. And I look up and down the aisle and my mom's on aisle seven and I'm on aisle seven and Robert is on aisle seven. He must be the lost child because that's the way that worked. And it was funny and it, got to the, it happened often enough in enough similar situations that we'd laugh about it, we'd recognize that they weren't, uh, there was no malice involved. There was no ill intent involved in that. They were, they were actually just trying to help. But I remember another time uh, taking Robert and going to, to a convenience store with him. Uh, some of you will remember that there used to be these things in convenience stores called arcades. And we would go in there and I would feed quarter after quarter. This one particular day, I must've had a lot of money and we were just feeding quarters, Robert and I standing next to each other playing in this arcade. And, and I distinctly remember hearing over my shoulder, the, the clerk calling the police on my brother, Robert, who was in the convenience store and loitering. Shh, not calling the, the police on me, who'd been there just as long, but calling it on him. And that was, that was a hard moment for me and it's multiplied many times over for him. If you've been on the, the receiving end of discrimination, racial, gender, religious, any kind, you know how deep and how hard that wound cuts. And you wanna just dismiss it sometimes, you wanna act like it's not real, you wanna push it off as innocent, sometimes it is innocent, but it's, it hurts almost the same whether it's innocent or malicious. And, and I want you to know, that's where this woman at the well is. She has been her entire life been told that her religion is wrong, her race is wrong, her gender is wrong, and so when Jesus, the Son of God, shows up in her life, what happens is she identifies herself as all the things that she's been told her whole life are wrong with her. I'm a Samaritan and I'm a woman. Well, I want you to know that when those wounds cut and they do, when, when those things are said and they will be said of you, Psalm 34 gives us this assurance. God is near to the brokenhearted. Sometimes those wounds are very superficial and you move on from them. Sometimes they go deep into our heart. Scriptures tell us that when you are brokenhearted, God is most present in your life. When you're wounded, God is there. He's near to you. And it's, and it's not even that, that uh, he, he has a choice in what to do. You see, God has established his character. He's already told us who he is. He's already told us what he's going to do in the moment. And so when we look at the woman at the well, we, we realize one thing very clearly. Jesus did have to go through Samaria, there was no other way around it. He, he, he could have gone around, but he would have left a broken hearted woman all by herself. And the scriptures tell us that when you're broken hearted, he goes to you. He goes to you. So he had to go through Samaria to get to the woman who was broken hearted because Jesus always goes towards the wounded. Always goes towards the wounded. When you're hurt, it feels like the most isolated time of your life. And I want you to know it's the time that Jesus is closest to you. When it hurts you the most is the time that he is the most present in your life. He, he had to go through Samaria. He didn't have to make a choice. He knew what he was going to do. And when you're hurting, he's already heading towards you. He's not choosing whether or not to go towards you. He's already made the choice up because his character defines it. He has gone, he's already gone to the cross for you when you commit that sin. He's already gone and defeated death and hell for you. He's already done it. Not because, because he has to, but because he wants to. He always wants to go towards the wounded. But, but he, just him being there is not always enough, is it? There's some comfort to us. And hey, you know what, I'm in a tough spot and I feel the presence of God. There is great comfort in that. But he doesn't just come to us uh, and show up in our life and make himself known just to be present. He keeps going as we pick up the story. Now he told her, go and call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. What an odd, odd conversation to have. Woman, go and get your husband. She said, I don't have one. Did you pay attention to who who went to the well with her initially? No one. The well was a very social moment for them. This was when uh, often the villagers would go there together and they would come back again. Um, for a lot of reasons, they wanted to catch up on the town gossip, but also it would, there was safety. There was, there was people with ill intent out there. And so they would go out there together. And Jesus, Jesus sees her with no one at the well with her, points out the fact that, that she's, you know, where go get your husband. And she says, I, I, I don't have one. I don't have one. You can, you can almost hear the defeat in her voice when she answers, right? Sir, I don't... I don't have one. I've, I've got nobody. I've got nobody with me. And he says, you've said correct. You've had five. You have none now. And the guy you're with now is not even your husband and you're at the well all by yourself. The only thing that was going with her to the well was a string of failed relationships. How many marriages had she failed on already? Five. That's a good point. We should go right back to that. Again, it's been nice having y'all and uh, you'll never see me again. (laughs) So literally she shows up at the well with no one with her, a string of failed relationships and Jesus' first words to her are, go and get your husband. This feels like he's pouring salt into a wound. Feels like he's pointing out that she can't maintain relationships. As a, as a gross oversimplification, okay, gross oversimplification, there's essentially two kinds of doctors that we interact with on a regular basis. We have general practitioners who uh, see whatever is wrong with us and help us and fix it, and if, if they're not able to address it and deal with it, then they send us to a specialist. So the general practitioner takes care of a lot of the problems. The specialist is able to know exactly what's wrong, put their finger on exactly what the issue is and know exactly how to deal with it. Jesus is both us. He's our great physician. He is both a great practitioner uh, who knows everything that's wrong with us and can heal us from head to toe, inside out, body, mind, spirit, relationally. He can heal us completely. But there's times where he says, I want to get a little more specialized. I want to deep dive a little bit right here. I want to put my finger exactly on what is wrong so I can deeply heal you. It's what he's doing with this woman. He's, he's not pointing it out to, to, to rub salt in the wound. He's actually rubbing s- some salve on exactly where she needs healing. Her relationships have failed. Anybody have any failed relationships in their past that still dictate how you live today? She went to the well alone. She didn't try marriage for the sixth time. She was, she was reacting to all of her failures, and Jesus lays his hand on where those failures are because he wants to reclaim you. Fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. You will go through all kinds of wounds in this life. He'll go through all kinds of hurts. Some malicious, some innocent, they all hurt. But when you're going through, God wants to take you through where you're hurting to get you to where a God who heals can heal you is it going to hurt along the way? I think we are all aware the answer is yes. It's going to hurt sometimes, but he has to get you through the hurt to get you to where the God who heals can heal. I have a friend of mine that that says to me on a regular basis, and I hate him for it, um, but he's right. He says, Jeremy, everybody wants to see the miraculous, but nobody wants to be in a position to need the miraculous. And if you've ever prayed a miraculous prayer for someone, you, you resonate with that. Everyone wants to see the healing God heal them, but it, it, we don't want to sign up to be hurt along the way so that we can be healed. But God takes us through. He, he runs to us. He goes to us when we're wounded because he wants to heal. But it's not enough just to be there because he does even more than that. He sees you when you're wounded. He saw this woman and he saw the wounds that were present in her life. And he said specifically, this is where I wanna heal you. So when you're wounded, God runs towards you. He has to, he he doesn't have a choice, it's his character. And then when he gets to you, he sees the wounds and he's very clear about what it is that he sees in you that he wants to reclaim back into the fearfully and wonderfully made image of God. But he doesn't just come and hang out with us as comforting as that is, and he doesn't just call out our wounds. Let's see what else he does here. Then leaving her water jar, The woman went back to the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Do you really want anyone knowing everything you ever did? I mean everything. Everything. No. Even the best relationships in the world, there are parts of us where we hesitate to share with someone the everything. Right now, we'll give you 90% of it. But there's that 10% of stuff that we're like, eh. I just don't want to do that. And yet, that's what she says, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. And the clear implication in the text is, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did, and he loved me anyways. Because that's our fear with the last 10%, isn't it? That they'll look at us and they'll say, oof, I I don't know what to do with that. Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did, and he loved me anyway. Why? When you're wounded, God goes towards you. He sees the wounds, but probably the most important thing he does is that he loves you when you're wounded. You see, our nature tells us that when we're wounded, we're the most unlovely. We're the, most least, we're the least likely to be loved. But Jesus already knows everything you've ever done, things that have been done to you, and, and, and listen, even the self-inflicted wounds, he knows. He knows what you were gonna do last week. He knew what you were gonna do in high school and somehow you survived. He knew you were going to grow up and not wear seatbelts in cars and we're still here. He knew the sins you were going to commit. He knows what you did last night. He knows what you're doing tomorrow. And he loves you anyways because he can't not love you. It's in his character. It's in his contract. So the wounds that are inflicted upon you, whether you did it or someone else did it to you, they are simply opportunities for a healing God to heal wounded humanity. He sees them. He goes towards you. He sees your wounds and he loves you anyway. There is something powerful about this kind of love. Um, It's rare. It's incredibly rare. Even in in marriage relationships, this kind of love is incredibly, incredibly rare. My wife and I met in college um, several years ago now. Uh, We dated for a little while, Uh, I I noticed her, she was a college volleyball player and so I used to go and watch college volleyball and um, noticed her, we got engaged. so the story kind of picks up, and after we were engaged, before we were married, so I guess that's the pre-honeymoon, honeymoon phase, or, you know, not exactly what, sure what that is, but we were, uh, we, we uh, just got engaged, and I decided I enjoyed watching volleyball so much that I should go sign up and play uh, on a men's, like a club team, a, a pretty low-level team. I never never played any kind of real volleyball in my life. And uh, so I, I signed up, and, and uh, by the way, I'm, it's, it's a terrible idea. If you've never in your life played volleyball, starting in college, probably not the way to go. Uh, But uh, you know, it was young and make crazy decisions when you're young. So I signed up and I I, I got to play, went to a match in in Wichita, Kansas. And I remember diving, there was a ball that was hit in front of me and I dove forward for it. And if you've ever played volleyball, coached volleyball, been around someone who played volleyball, you know that one of the very fundamental lessons of volleyball is how do you dive and get back up again so you can continue to play in the point, right? Um, I skipped that lesson all together. So ball was hit in front of me and I dove forward. And uh, I, I don't even think I got the ball to be honest with you. But I remember getting back up again and feeling a pain in my side. And it felt like a, like a floor burn. And, and, and so it kind of hurt and I didn't really think much of it. And we kept on playing, went through a couple more points and it just kept burning, like more and more burn. And finally I lifted up my shirt and I had a floor burn over, way over on my left hip. I know what you're thinking, how did you dive forward and get a floorboard on your left hip. Did I mention that I skipped the lesson on how to dive correctly in volleyball and get back up again and not get hurt? So I, as I pull up my shirt, I notice there's blood coming out of this floor burn, and, and the coach sees me and he tries to sub me out. I said, no, no, I'm, I'm, good. I'm good, I'm fine, I'm fine. You know, there's just sweat running into it, it's no big deal. I'm fine, I'm fine, I wanna keep playing. And no one wants to play with, a, with an actively bleeding volleyball player, okay? <laughs> So they subbed me out and put somebody else into my place. And, and my fiance at the time, who would become my wife shortly after that, says, here, come over here, let me clean that up for you. So I go and I lay down on the bench, and she's digging through the first aid kit. And I'm thinking, slap a couple of those big Band-Aids on it, let me get right back out there and start playing again. I didn't sign up to sit on the bench. I signed up to play. That's kind of what I do. And uh, she, she says, well, let me, I need to disinfect it. Otherwise, you got all this, you know, who knows what in it. And it's, you know, I said, whatever, just, just put, put a Band-Aid on it. And so she's digging through the first aid kit and she can't find any disinfectant in there. So I feel like I'm winning, like, see, I told you there's no disinfectant, just put a band-aid on it and move on. And she goes, wait, wait, I think I found something. There was a bottle of rubbing alcohol in there, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I guess I should probably, we did get married later anyway, but this, this I had to work through. So she pulls up my shirt and begins to pour straight rubbing alcohol on this floor burn of mine that is bleeding, and I'm all sweaty, and, and uh, you ever had that pain that like hurts all the way into your molars? <laughs> I mean, it was, it was, deep. And, and And then I felt this scream, like just primitive scream want to come out of me, but I was so proud of myself for suppressing that scream uh, until I looked around and realized I hadn't actually suppressed that scream. I had let that... <laughs> scream would come out. Um, everyone stopped and was looking at me. And then, then she put a Band-Aid on it. And then I was ready to go back in. And, and I tell that story to say, that was about as unlovely as I could be at that point in my life. I'm a sweaty mess. I don't want to be out of the game. I'm bleeding. I don't want help. I don't need any assistance. Leave me alone. Let me get back in. You've been like that with God, right? God, I'm a total mess right now. I know it, but leave me alone. I don't need your help. So today I've got a little scar on my left hip from diving straight forward uh, in a volleyball game. Uh, and sometimes when I put a shirt on or take it off again, I, my, my finger will run over that scar. And I'll remember how much she loved me in that moment, even when I didn't want to be loved. Um, I still remember the pain uh, deep into the molars. Um, but more than anything, I remember being loved by someone in a moment when I shouldn't have been loved. And And I say all that to tell you, if you're just a bloody mess today, that's okay. God loves you anyway. He has already made his motion towards you. He knows exactly where you're wounded today, and he loves you anyway. It's not enough, though. It's not enough for him to come to us. It's not enough for him to see where we're wounded, and it's not enough for him to love us anyway. There is something incredible when God takes the wounds that we have, uh, that we've had upon us, whether self-inflicted or someone else has inflicted upon us. There was something incredible about the moment that he takes those wounds and he turns them into our favor. At the end of Joseph's life, uh, he is, he is, his brothers got tired of him early in their life. And so they tried to kill him. And just before they were going to kill him, they decided these guys came by offered him money, offered him money. And they said, well, Hey, money's better than blood. So here, take, take our brother. He goes off into another land altogether. Uh, gets accused and convicted of a crime he didn't commit, spends time in jail, uh, ends up spending the rest of his life away from his family until near the end of his life. Everything that could have gone wrong in his life had gone wrong. We're talking wounds. We're talking brothers who betrayed him and they would have killed him if they couldn't have made a few dollars off of him. And at the very end of his life, Joseph gets together with his brothers and this amazing, amazing verse happens. You intended to harm me. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. I don't have any idea what wounds you're carrying. And I don't know what wounds you're gonna go through between here and the end of your life. But I do know this, we serve a God who is able to take that which is intended to harm you and turn it for your good. I know that with all my heart. I don't know how, but I can, beyond the shadow of a doubt, trust the character of a God who can take that which is intended to harm us and use it for our good? In fact, we see that at the end of the story with the woman at the well. Many of the Samaritans, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did, and he loved me anyways. He knows everything you ever did. He knows every hurt. He knows every time you've inflicted upon someone else and every time someone else has inflicted upon you. He knows everything and he loves you anyways. I don't know how God is going to take all the things that have wounded you and turn them to your good, but I know God can and I know he will and I know that he does. And here to me is one of the neatest parts of this. He takes all the wounds of this woman's life And he looks like he's pouring salt in him, but he's actually rubbing a salve on it that turns her life into a testimony so that many would believe in him. They saw the way he handled her and they said, I want to serve God like that. If you're hurting today, if you're hurting today, God knows how to take that which was intended to harm you and turn it for your good. And he wants that moment to shift for you so that those around you who may be the ones that are hurting you See how you walk with God in your hurts and see how loving he is to you in your hurts and see how he binds up those wounds. He wants to use that so that they can see why you serve this God that you serve so that many, many could come, many would see. I don't know how, but I know who, and I don't know when, but I trust the character of God to take me from where I'm hurting to being a God who heals. One more scripture for you this morning. Back earlier in the story, we, we kind of skipped this. We skipped it because I want to come back to it. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And he goes on in a couple of verses later to say that living water would, would, would bubble up in you into eternal life. I don't know, I simply don't know what you're going through today. I don't know what wounds you brought in. I don't know what wounds you have that still aren't healed. But I do know this. God is able to take the wounds of your life and of my life, run towards us, see the wounds, love us, and heal those wounds so that we can be reclaimed into the fearfully and wonderfully made image of God that he has created us for. Amen. Would you stand with me? If you've got wounds today that that are just fresh and they're still dictating to you how you live your life, man, we'd love to pray with you. We would love to pray with you to to get you started in the healing process. God will take you to healing. Let us start here. If you're here today and you've never taken the first step towards it, and that is asking for that drink of living water, that eternal life would well up in you. If you've never stopped and asked Jesus Christ to be your savior, if you've never asked him to forgive your sins and all the things you've done wrong, We'd love to pray that with you as well today. I want to pray over us, and we're going to have prayer partners up pray, here that would love to pray with you. Father, thank you for, uh, thank you for being a God who reclaims us. Lord, we live a world, and we live in a world that seems to tarnish your image day after day after day. Thank you that none of it scares you, and none of it deters you. You have gone to the cross to reclaim us from the life that we live. Thank you, Lord, that wounds are opportunities for you to be a healer for us. Thank you, God. Father, for those in here today that have not taken that first step, this is a great day to put their faith in you and start the process of being reclaimed into the image of God that they were fearfully and wonderfully made into in the very first place. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. We'd love to pray with you. Otherwise, love you guys. Go and have a great Sunday. If you enjoy the podcast, we encourage you to subscribe, share it with friends and family, or let us know by tagging us at New Hope Church TV on social media. We would love to connect with you. Thanks for listening.